0: We've been in a series as a church over the past few months, actually started in early October, uh, in a book of the Bible called Mark. It's quite a short book of the Bible, really focuses in on the life of Jesus. And we're asking this question, who, who was Jesus? Was he con or king? Was, was, was what was said about him in the Bible, is it kind of become legend and, and more kind of fable than fact, or is Jesus who he actually said he was? So we're in uh, Mark chapter 8 this morning. Just going to invite Anna to come up and to read the verses to us. We are going to be in Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to 26. If you have a Bible, feel free to open to that. Uh, If not, the words will come up on the screen uh, here behind me.
1: And they came to Bethsaida. Some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village.
0: Thank you. All right. I'm going to sit down again this morning. I've started doing this recently, and I quite like it. Um, I don't know whether you guys like it, but you're not the ones who preach. So you just have to kind of put up with it, I'm afraid. So um, great, great. I like starting with a question. Um, So this is going to be a question that we're going to start with this morning. When's the last time somebody really weirded you out? Some of you are going, two minutes ago. (laughs) When's the last time somebody really kind of weirded you out? Something happened around you where you're like, "Whoa, that was that was just kind of weird." Natalia and I were flying back from uh, the UK on Friday evening, and uh, the uh, one of the the air hosts, they have you know, the flight crew was uh, walking down the aisle with with the uh, you know the cart. It's got all the meals in it, and uh, she was very politely saying to people, uh, "Excuse me, uh, sir, would you like chicken or pasta? Ma'am, would you like chicken or pasta? Chicken or pasta?" And uh, she came to this woman about three rows behind me. She said, uh, she said, excuse me, ma'am. She had her headphones in, took her headphones off, excuse me, ma'am, would you like uh, chicken or pasta for your meal? And the uh, the woman went, Bok, bo,k buck, 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 And I was like, Natalia, seriously, did you have to do that? No, it wasn't, it wasn't my wife, Natalia. But I remember thinking, I remember thinking, that is so weird. And everybody in like the rows around, we were all just kind of like Look at the screen. Look at the map. <laughs> Don't acknowledge it. It was strange. It was really, really weird. When's the last time somebody kind of really weirded you out where you thought, man, that's just that's just strange? Now, this question may be a bit more for Christians in the room. I know there'll be some people with us this morning that are just exploring the Christian faith or have just been invited along. Look, we love that you're here as well. But for the Christians in the room, when's the last time that Jesus did something in your life that you thought, that's just weird? That was just Strange. Well, what we're looking at this morning in Mark chapter 8, there are some things in these verses that if we look at them and if we're honest, we could say, that is just weird. That is just strange. So where we are so far in Mark's gospel, let me... Quickly recap the story so far. Mark's gospel is really Peter's story. We've come to know him today as the Apostle Peter, but uh, in the early parts of Mark, he was just a, just a fisherman. He's not an apostle yet. He's not a church leader yet, starting new churches. You kind of hear there and everywhere. That's, that's not him. He was a fisherman. But he meets Jesus, and Jesus invites him to follow him and other disciples as well, including uh, Peter's brother. So, they're following Jesus around and they're seeing Jesus do some incredible incredible things. So the first few chapters of Mark that we've been looking at so far have story after story after story of of miracles, supernatural in action. Jesus doing things where the disciples are watching these things happen just going, "Whoa." Like that that that's that's insane. So right at the very beginning of of Mark, we read about Jesus healing Peter's own mother-in-law. She's lying down in bed with a severe fever. She can't even get out of bed. Jesus goes into the house and heals her, and she gets up, and she doesn't have the fever anymore, fully restored to, to full health. And In, in other areas, uh, people who, who are deaf and who are blind and lame people, and, and, and even a young girl, 12-year-old girl who was dead Jesus comes along and raises her to life. I mean, these are just some of the physical things, uh, you know, with, with, with physical things that are wrong in people's body. Uh, beyond that, Jesus feeding thousands of people with two fish and five loaves of bread that, that miraculously multiplies. And then not long after, essentially doing the same thing again with a different crowd. And then in addition to all of this, Jesus casting out demons that are inside of people. And us in modern-day Ottawa, we hear that part and go, oh, I was, all, the other part, all the other stuff sounds cool, but no, no, okay. This just got a little bit strange, but I would just pause a slight aside here. Given many of the events that have happened around the world, particularly in the past month, do we really think that it is that far-fetched that even today, evil powers, evil spirits, can manipulate people, can cause people to do horrible, wicked, and destructive things. I don't think it's illogical to think that that is still possible. I think that that can still happen today. And we don't need to be afraid of that. We don't need to get spooked out by that. There is a savior. There is a king that has authority and power over all of them. That's what I want to focus this on even more so here this morning. We don't need to be fearful at all. But that's kind of our story so far. But right now, we're approaching a shift in the story. We're coming up to a part of the story where the focus in Mark is going to be less on miracles, although there are still going to be some as we continue on. But it's going to go more onto who Jesus is, who he said he is, and teachings that he did. So less of a focus about things that he did in terms of miracles and more onto Jesus' teachings. Now why is it this way around? This is a little bit abnormal for us, I think. I'm, I'm a big Ottawa Senators fan, very proud Sens fan, very proud particularly this season. I mean, they did so well. But I remember the beginning of the season, they had a new coach, whole new coaching staff, in fact. And uh, Guy Boucher, the new head coach, did a number of media interviews at the beginning of the season before the team had even hit the ice. I mean, they weren't even out playing the exhibition games yet. They were uh, just... Having practices and team kind of getting to know the new coaching staff. And he did a number of media interviews talking about how great the season was going to be, how, how good his system was, how effective it was going to be. And I remember reading these things going, oh, man, be careful. Like, surely you need to prove it on the ice. Like, you're talking up a really big game. But, I mean, look at the same season. He did. He made good on what he said. But that's often the way that, that, that we would kind of go about it, wouldn't it? We would, we would kind of talk up like a pretty big game, and then we would set out to prove ourselves. Maybe you've done this in your workplace. Maybe you've done this with your family. I, I know that I would do that a lot. I would say, you yeah, know, this is something that I'm able to do or I'm going to commit to, to doing. Not necessarily arrogance. That's not what I'm talking about. But then we would follow that up with action to back it up. Well, Jesus does it the other way around. Jesus starts in his three years of ministry, about 30 years old, Starts with doing these incredible, incredible things, and then eventually leads people to this question that we're going to look at more next week. So, who do people say that I am? What do you who do you think I am, guys? It does it the other way around. And the disciples have looked at all these incredible things, and man, they're looking at the evidence. Well, whoever you are, you're, you're, you're like no one else we've, <laughs> we've ever met. We'll focus on that a bit more next week. But it's in this chapter that we see this shift kind of starting to happen. So this next miracle, the miracle that, that, that we're looking at this morning in Mark chapter 8, what's going on here? Well, Jesus is in a, a little village called Bethsaida, and uh, the, the name Bethsaida really means a you know, kind of place of fishing. It was on the Sea of Galilee. It was another little fishing town. It was actually the place where Peter uh, himself was raised And it's on the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee in what is now modern-day Israel. And uh, Jesus is there. He's back there. He had moved through that area before, and uh, he's back there. And some people in this village bring to Jesus a man who is blind. They bring to Jesus a man who is blind. And Jesus does two really strange things. I mean, we're used to seeing people that are sick or who need physical healing being brought to Jesus. We've seen that in different parts of Mark. There's nothing terribly abnormal about that. In some of those other cases, Jesus just speaks a word, and they're healed. Uh, In in other cases we know of with Jesus, the person who needed the physical healing wasn't even there. They were somewhere different. Jesus still speaks it, and the healing still comes. But in this case, it's different, because Jesus does two really strange things. The first thing is this, is he actually takes the blind man, and he leads him by the hand out of Baseda. He leads him by the hand out of the village. And that's, that's peculiar. Why, why do that? I, I don't know. I, you know, when I was younger, I had a friend who was visually impaired. You wouldn't think if you were around somebody like that that it would be terribly compassionate to when they say, they say or their friends say, hey, this person's blind, can you help them, to immediately take them on a long walk. That's, that's not going to meet the need seems like it's a little bit lacking in compassion. It's it's strange. Jesus, why would you do this? Why would you take him out and lead him out of Bethsaida? And we get a clue as to the reason behind this in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this. He says, Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, village of Bethsaida. Woe to you. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. What are those last couple words about? Uh, people in those days, when they showed repentance, they would physically show it by kind of covering themselves in ash and, and, and the most humble of, you could hardly even call it clothing, uh, but sackcloth, just to show the, the extent of their depravity. And Jesus is saying, woe to you. If the miracles that I had done in these other places, you know, if if... if I did them here, and you've not responded with anything like that. You, you're just you're cynical. You don't have faith. You're completely bankrupt of faith. If I had done the miracles that I did with you somewhere else, people would have responded by, by, by saying, Jesus, we need you. Look at the power that you have. We need you. But here, Bethsaida, you have not responded like that. You've just explained it away or become cynical or just shown a complete lack of faith. Oh, man, this, this is tough, isn't it? Matt's done a great job in, in some sermons over the past uh, few weeks of helping us hone in on this. Friends, the point is this. Jesus is not going to impose his power on people who don't want to receive it. Jesus is kind. He's gracious. He's, he's, not, he's not forceful. <laughs> he's not, if, if you're sitting here going, well, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to tick the church box, and, but Jesus, I, I just, I just want to feel like a better Canadian by showing up this morning. Really, that's really what I'm after. Uh, but I don't want you to do anything in my life, then you know what? He, he might, at least today, might not do anything in your life. <laughs> There's something about coming to Jesus in humility and, 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 and coming with open hands. And this village, Bethsaida, did not do that. Now, there are some people from around that region that think a little bit differently, and they bring to Jesus this blind man, and Jesus doesn't just cast him aside or just say, no, forget it. He leads him out of the town And takes him somewhere else. That's the first strange thing that he does. Now within that we see a contrast. We see a contrast between the people that bring the blind man to Jesus. And the word that we read in Mark's gospel is beg. They begged Jesus. Verse 22, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him. Begged Jesus to touch this blind man to heal him. They begged Jesus And this is an incredible contrast to to just a few verses before that Matt was looking at with us last Sunday where we see these religious leaders, these religious rulers coming to Jesus and begging? No, they come to Jesus and they demand a sign. They essentially are saying to Jesus, come on, you you seem to talk a big talk, do a trick for us. Demanding a sign. This is very key for us to understand. Friends, I, I really want us to hear this. People who are feeling a sense of entitlement make demands. People who feel entitled make demands. But people who know that they are entitled to nothing beg. And there's a big difference. People who feel entitled make demands, and people who know they are entitled to nothing beg. Now, if you're here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus, you've surrendered your life to him you know what you actually do come with entitlements this morning in christ you don't have to come this morning begging but likewise you shouldn't also come making demands of him it's still by grace there's still something of reverence of acknowledging that god is wanting to do this by grace but you if you're here this morning and you have a relationship with jesus don't understand what i've just been saying is saying oh well you you need to come and beg beg jesus no if you're in Christ, you're a son or a daughter of God with full permission to boldly approach him, to boldly approach the throne of God and make all petitions, all requests, make them known to him. What an incredible, incredible thing. So, but we must never come feeling that there's a sense of entitlement within us ourselves apart from Christ because there is not. The religious rulers of the day then thought that they were entitled to it that way apart from Christ and, and they were very, very wrong. So that's the first strange thing that Jesus does. He takes the blind man out of the town, leads him out of the town. Strange thing number two, and this is, this is the really strange thing, and I know you were thinking it as it was read to you this morning, but what does Jesus do? Let's read the verses again. He took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the village, and when he had spit on his eyes, <laughs> when he had spit on his eyes, we, the actual way that we need to read that is when he had spit on, on his eyeballs, okay? Not spitting on eyelids, spit on his eyeballs. This is socially awkward. <laughs> this, is, this is strange, and I can speak about this from personal experience. I, I, I used to live in a city in the UK, we were over there last week, called Brighton. It's a coastal town on the south coast of England. Uh, some of you maybe are from Vancouver, Victoria. Uh, if you've ever lived in a coastal area, you know that the wind when you live near the coast, is fierce. Okay, You get huge gusts of wind that come in, in the case of Brighton, off the English Channel. I remember one day leaving our flat and walking down the road, and I had, I, had, I mean, I, you know, I... Did what you're supposed to do. I had my white headphones in my ear. I had my iPhone in my pocket. I was walking. I, I was doing what you were supposed to do in, in, in modern day kind of society, walking down the street, looking straight ahead, not acknowledging the people around me, just kind of with my plan of where I was going. But there was a strong wind in Brighton that day, a very, very strong wind. And as I was walking along, I, I, I had my mouth opened a little bit. I don't mean like that as I was walking down the road, but I just had my mouth opened a little bit and a fly came into my mouth. Now, when a fly comes into your mouth, you have essentially two decisions to make. Are you going to let the fly continue to stay in your mouth or are you going to remove the fly from your mouth? So I made a split-second decision to remove the fly from my mouth. I decided that the fastest way to do that would be by spitting. I did a really quick shoulder check, made sure that there was nobody beside me. I spit the fly out of my mouth, but I failed to correct for wind. And a woman about three steps behind me got the fly and a bit else right on her left arm and and you can't really acknowledge that it happened when 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 you have a moment of like that like that you can't you know you, you don't just stop and say hey I'm I'm sorry I just spit on you 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 hide behind your earphones and your iPhone and you just keep on marching cuz I failed to correct for win. socially awkward we're not supposed to spit on people if you learn nothing else in church this morning, learn that, all right? Don't spit on people. Jesus goes with this blind man, leads him out of the village, and spits on his eyeballs. And imagine the disciples gathering around. Imagine Peter kind of thinking, "Do I, Jesus, can I just talk to you for a sec? We don't really do that. We don't really spit on people like that. That's That's not cool. What is that about? What is... Going on with this. Now, there are a whole bunch of different schools of thought on this. Some scholars that you would read would say that the, the blind man would have uh, had some sort of infection in the eye. His eye might have been trapped shut a bit. So the idea was to moisten it, to loosen it. Well, maybe. But it's still weird. <laughs> it's, still, it's still, if you're that blind man, it's, Ugh, hey, thank, thanks a lot. And, and even if that's the case, you're still watching it going, this, this is just strange. The fact is we simply don't know. The Gospels don't tell us. We simply don't know. What we do know is that it's strange. What we do know is that it doesn't fit our normal methods of how we think Jesus should conduct himself and should carry himself. Friends, Jesus is many things, but one thing he is not is predictable. And in our culture today, in comfortable Ottawa today, in this city that I love dearly, we actually like the idea of a really predictable Jesus, don't we? I mean, we really like the idea of, of a Savior that we can kind of go, well, I know how this is going to play out. But it doesn't always play out like that. And then we get frustrated and we say, Jesus, I knew what was best in that situation. Why didn't you do what I, like, like what I knew I needed or what I, what I had asked you for? Why didn't you, why didn't you do that? Friend, Jesus is not predictable. He knows better than us. Even in strange situations, Mark 8, strange situation, he is still all-wise, all-knowing, all-gracious, all-loving, and knows better than we do. Jesus spits into his eyes, and then he asks this question, do you see anything? And the blind man, his eyes sort of open, sort of not, we don't know for certain, but what we do know is what he says. He says, I see people, but they look like trees, walking, walking, I see people, but they look like trees walking. His eyesight had been partially restored, obviously, but not fully. Far from it, fully. Jesus lays his hands on the man's eyes again for a second time, prays again, and this time his sight is fully restored. Amazing. Amazing. This is a short story of healing, but there is an immeasurable amount of gold in this for us. And I want to draw out three things quickly for us this morning. The first is this. We need to resist getting so hung up on methods and even style that we miss the work that God is actually doing. We need to resist getting so hung up on methods and style that we miss the work that God is doing. The church that I grew up in, uh, in the Maritimes, many, many years ago, I remember around that time, I think it was the early to mid-90s, there was an incredible move of God happening in a church near Toronto. Some of you will be familiar with this. And there were some strange things going on. I mean, some really strange things going on in that church. Things in terms of style and comfort level. People were going, man, this is, this is just weird But it seemed like there was just a genuine move of God happening. It didn't fit into everybody's boxes. Even some things that the leaders in that church on reflection looked back on and said, if we could do it again, we'd probably do a few things differently. Fair enough. We're all human. We're all learning. There are things in Grace City Church that if we could do the past year again, we'd do differently. There's grace for these moments. But there's no denying that God was doing an incredible work. But the church that I grew up in, I remember an announcement one Sunday. And it said, this week we're going to be offering a special evening called The Evils of and then they named that church. And at the time, I didn't think too much of it. But what it was is it was a fear of style that was uncomfortable, methods that were uncomfortable. And they had come to the conclusion that this was just not, not a work of God. It's just not a work of God. And as I've gotten older, I've, I've, I'm not intending to point the finger. I can do that myself. I can dismiss something that God is doing somewhere, because I hear stories about somebody falling down on the floor, or shaking, or screaming out loud, or something, and I go, in my style, I'm I'm a pretty, I don't know, I, 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 I've never done that, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I've never done that, when it happens, I'm like, I'm just kind of processing it, and thinking it through, but what I mustn't do, is come to the conclusion, that God's not doing something there, because God doesn't have to play by my rules, because if he does, who's God in that situation, it's not him, it's me, and I'm not God, So we mustn't dismiss things just based on style or on methods that we go, man, that's just strange because if we do, what do we do with Mark 8? What do we do with the story? What do we do when Jesus does things that just don't fit the way that we think things could or should be done? Again, Jesus is many things, but one thing that he is not is predictable. I'm not saying we shouldn't weigh things up. I'm not saying we shouldn't bounce things against Scripture. Absolutely Absolutely, but in the area of style and method, Scripture gives a whole lot of freedom, a whole lot of freedom, and we shouldn't be quick to dismiss things that don't fit our normal uh, kind of boxes. Secondly, life in the Spirit, bit of Christian lingo, okay? Life with God, surrendering your life to Jesus Christ and having the Holy Spirit of God taking up residence inside of you, life in the Spirit will mean that you will encounter things that are strange, it just will. If you, in terms of your journey of faith and your relationship with God, have never known strange things to happen to you or those around you, I, I, I would urge you <laughs> strongly to lean into God and to, and, 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 and to ask the question, God, have I, have I been filled by your spirit? Am I, am I, am I following you in, 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 a, in a full way? Because God is the God of the supernatural. And when we surrender to him, we open ourselves up to all of the resources of heaven and, 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 and incredible works of God. That God, you know what, by his grace, wants to do through you. Not just wants to do through the pastor. Not just wants to do through the worship leader. Wants to do through you if you are in Christ. And those gifts will look differently. Some in this room, you might not even know, it might have an incredible gift of healing that God has placed on you and he wants to draw out of you. For others, it might not be healing. For others, it might be generosity. For others, it might be... Uh, different gifts that we could talk about, prophesying, uh, speaking, is the the, the very words of God. Look, I I could go on in this list, different gifts that God gives. But my point is this, is that God wants to give them. And if you are using gifts that come from God, they will automatically have a supernatural implication. How could they not? Because they are gifts that come from God. So life in the Spirit means that you will encounter strange things. If you're wondering how strange it could be, read the book of Acts. Just read the book of Acts. Acts is often called the Acts of the Apostles. It would rightly be... That's, that's not a title that Scripture actually gives to it itself. It's one that throughout church history has kind of been given to it, the Acts of the Apostles. It would actually rightly be understood as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, really. So it starts with Jesus ascending into heaven... And then the Holy Spirit falling on those early believers, on those early church, on that early church in Acts chapter 2. They're in a room. They're gathered in this room. Jesus had told them to go and wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And then there was this sound like a mighty rushing wind. Have you ever been near a plane when the, when the jets are firing up? I don't mean in the plane when it's a bit muffled. I mean some, like uh, when I was younger, I used to, my dad used to take me to air shows. And you'd stand on the tarmac. The plane wouldn't be far away. It was deafening. And what you're hearing is a mighty rushing wind. That type of sound, they heard it in this room loud. And then tongues of fire resting on people. Tongues of fire. (laughs) Like if you've never read that and have gone, what? You've read your Bible way too quickly. (laughs) Just wait, we should read that and go, tongues of fire. Some of you are picturing that Rolling Stones album right now, all right? You're getting close. It's weird. Tongues of fire. Resting on people is strange. And that's only Acts chapter (laughs) 2. We keep going. Peter, this man, who only 50 days before, 50 days before, was cowardly, denying Jesus three times. 50 days later, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching this incredible sermon. 3,000 people being added to the church in one day. In one day. That is a pretty fast progression in ability and in leadership. And it's not because he read a few books or went on a few leadership courses. It's because he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And as we keep reading in Acts chapter 5, we come across this. I mean, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, he has to summarize it. There's just so much stuff going on. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostles. They were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. More than ever, believers were being added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, listen, so that even, uh, so they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. That's weird. (laughs) That's just downright strange. But friends, this is our God. And I'm like you. If I put on the religious TV stations at home and I see the guy in the white suit putting his hand on people's forehead and be slain, boom, and all this stuff, I am just as cynical, okay? I promise you that, all right? I might have 10 white suits in my closet at home and I'm waiting for the right time to wear them in front of you guys, but no, I'm, I'm really cynical about that. But you know what? God in his grace might still be doing something there even when it doesn't fit our boxes, even when we look at things and go, this is just, this is just wacky. You know what? God is a gracious God. Adam, Noah, Abraham, uh, David, the apostles, we've been reading about them over the past little while. Paul himself standing by while while Stephen was stoned, the first Christian martyr. God works through imperfect people a lot. Praise the name of the Lord. God works through imperfect people a lot. Third and finally, let's be a church that expects God to heal people here. Let's be a church that expects God to heal people here on Sundays and out there Monday to Saturday. And if when we pray, God doesn't seem to answer or he doesn't answer fully, Mark 8, what does Jesus do? Let's pray again. There's a friend here this morning. Some of you will know who I'm talking about. I won't name him. We've been praying for him for months that God would heal him. And we've seen slight glimmers, but the slightest. Nothing even close to what anybody would look at and say, well, God's done it fully. Nothing even close. But I'll tell you, when we're with him (laughs) and when his friends are gathered, we pray. And we pray again. And sometimes, you know what we pray? God, we don't know why you haven't answered this. But we're coming again. We're asking you again. God, again, would you do it? Friends, I know there's a mystery to this. I know there are things that we don't understand. But here's the incredible thing is what we're reading about with this blind man, Jesus spitting onto his eyeballs and then him partially opening his eyes and seeing things blurry. You know what? There's some of that in all of us. This is really the Christian life. This is a life of following Jesus. Proverbs says it like this in Proverbs chapter four, verse 18. it says, "But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day." Friends, we are on that journey right now. If you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there are some things that we see blurry. There are some things that we don't see with clarity. God, I was asking you for that for so long, and I'm so disappointed. I'm so lonely. I'm so hurt. God, where are you? I, don't, I, just, I just don't see clearly what you're doing. Your word tells me that you're working all of these things to my good. The Bible tells me that you're for me, that you love me. But God, I just don't see it clearly. Friend, keep trusting him. Keep walking with Him. Keep leaning into Him because there is a day coming when you will see in perfect clarity not just the way that God has orchestrated these things around you for your good, but you will see Him perfectly. You will see Jesus as He is. And if you're in Christ, at that time, you will be like Him in fullness. Oh my goodness. What a promise. What a promise. The story of this healing should encourage us. If Jesus, the very Son of God, could pray for somebody and their sight wasn't fully restored the first time and he then goes to pray again, how much more freedom and permission do we have to do the very same thing? So here's how we're going to end the sermon this morning. I'm going to invite the band to come and, and get set back up. I want you to think about something in your life, and to some degree, we all have it. We all have something where you are wanting the healing of God. It might be physical. As I said earlier, it might be something literally with your eyesight, all this talking about you know, this blind man. You're, you're, if you're here this morning, you may not be blind, but maybe there's something with your sight or your ears, or I don't know, whatever else physically. Maybe it's not physical for you. Maybe it's, it's emotional wounds that you're carrying, something that was said to you, somebody who hurt you last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago, longer. Whatever it is, I want you to get that into your mind. And we're going to have an opportunity before we wrap up the service today to bring that before God. We're not going to do it in a public way where we're going to um, ask people to come to the microphone and say what that is. If, If you're comfortable doing that, don't feel that you can't. But we're not going to try to put anybody on the spot that way. But we're going to have an opportunity to pray for you. And as the service goes on, I'm going to ask a few people to come over to the right side of the room. We're going to take communion in a, in, in a few minutes together. This is our opportunity to remember Jesus' body being broken for us. The cross of Jesus Christ is the, is the place of our healing. It's the guarantee of it. It's the promise of it. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that, that God showed his commitment to us at the cross in fullness. Why would he hold anything else back at all? Why would he hold anything else back even in the mystery of it? God has shown his commitment to doing us good. And it's because Jesus took the penalty that we deserve so that we could approach God as sons and daughters of God. It's an incredible, incredible thing. So just before the band leaves us in this first song, I'm going to show a quick video that Natalie and I recorded. I think it's about two minutes long, um, just back in the UK last week. Just want us to. Yeah. Uh...
2: Hi. So this is Hannah from my uh, my sister and brother-in-law's church in Birmingham in England, and we just thought we'd do a quick video of her as we just had an amazing testimony of of, of a bit of her health. So if, yeah, if you don't mind, just going for it and telling us
1: some. I've got cystic fibrosis and diabetes and osteoporosis. Um, And before I came to Jesus, I had 43% lung capacity. Um, So if I would have dropped another 3%, I would have been waiting for a double lung transplant. Um, Over the past coming months, everyone's been praying hard at church. The diabetes has now literally gone, which was type 1. The osteoporosis has literally gone really mild, so there's no sign or trace of that no more. I had gallstones, which have gone. Um, And also, with my lung function, it's back up at 98% and no longer need oxygen or anything like that. So it's really really
2: well that's amazing yeah. so the medication you're on now must be it's, a lot less than what you yeah, were on
1: much 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 less i haven't needed ivs which usually i have like 12 to 14 courses a year and i've had one in the past year
2: that's amazing so, yeah. wow that's such a testimony yeah and um how does it how has your daily life kind of changed as a totally result different of that?
1: amazing um i can go to a park with my kids i can push my kids on the park i can even walk stairs Wow. So um, before I could I tackle one step and that was it, I was down. That's and,
2: amazing. Yeah. And tell us about the scan that you said that that they mentioned that showed a slip disk before.
1: Um yeah, on a bone density scan I had a slip disk in my back, which is now nah, it was really, really bad and now we're on about operating, but because of how bulged it was they couldn't. Um so now they've looked and they've said oh, I've got no slip disc or anything now. Uh-huh. Um and obviously my back's mended in, in, in the way it is. And with the osteoporosis the bones were going thinner but they haven't, it's as though they've thrown back.
2: Amazing, so, yeah. wow, such a testimony. And what, what, how has this kind of affected your relationship with Jesus and God?
1: Oh, it's brought us closer. Because before, we was in, me and my kids were in such a dark place, we probably wouldn't have been here now if it wasn't for Jesus, because it, it was really, really dark. Now the fact that we can go home, there's no anxiety, there's no depression, there's no nothing, the kids are a lot happier. And it's done really, really well. And obviously the kids have got their mum oh, to the way they wanted, yeah. Where before they didn't have that. That's
2: amazing. So, yeah. Wow, thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank, Hannah, thank you, Jesus. Okay. And
1: okay. That's okay. great. Thank right.
0: you. Okay. The, the, the church is smaller than this one. It's on an estate in Birmingham. There's, there was no massive stage, no bright lights, no 50-piece worship band, no men in white suits. Tell us your story. Well, how amazing is that? And hooping everybody up. A humble woman coming to Jesus with nothing and receiving everything. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. And friends, we are desperate to build a church in this city. I don't mean we, Natalia and I. I mean the team. I mean many, so many of you to have this church be a church where God is moving like that regularly. Touching people, healing people, breaking into people's lives. If you could ask anything of them this morning, what would you ask? What would you ask? Keep that in mind. Let's stand together. These guys are going to teach us a new song. And then we'll, uh, after this song, we'll come and quickly lead into communion and, and on from there.